Listener Production. Our planet is a beautiful thing. From the warm tropical waters of the Kimberleys to the buzzing city of Newcastle, each ecosystem brims with life and reminds us why protecting our homes from the effects of climate change is so important. It's no secret that energy production has a huge role to play in carbon emissions, the main actor in climate change. And I'm sure you would have heard how solar panels and wind turbines are helping solve this problem. But have you heard of hydrogen? If you're having flashbacks to high school chemistry, don't be alarmed. This little molecule and research from the University of Newcastle could play a huge role in the country's and world's transition to a renewable energy future. And there's a whole new generation of renewable energy engineers making that future possible. I think for our degree, we have to initiate change and we have to make people listen to us because renewable energy, it needs to be implemented and we need to reduce carbon emissions and renewable energy is a way to do that. Now, it might sound a bit unusual, but fossil fuels could play an important role in this future too, when they're used in conjunction with renewable energy solutions like the ones we're going to talk about today. Coal is actually wonderful from a research perspective. If you take out the politics and the CO2. Coal is just the most fantastic thing to study. So get your lab coats, sit back and open your mind to the exciting world of renewable energy solutions that could change the way we think about energy forever. Hi, I'm Shani Wellington, a Wandy Wandy and Geringer woman, and I'm from the University of Newcastle. And this is The Minds Changing Lives. I've always been interested in finding answers to, you know, questions and that uh, sort of desire, that fire inside me about, you know, finding new things, discoveries, all of that is still very much alive and that's my driving force in a way in terms of what I do. Professor Badad Motadari is one of the brightest minds working in renewables. He's a laureate professor of chemical engineering and director of the Centre of Frontier Energy Technologies. My uh, research interest is really about the nexus between energy, water and carbon emissions. I've been working on a whole range of energy technologies I'm not ideologically driven, so I've been working in fossil fuels as well as renewables, as well as hydrogen, and I'm still doing so because um, I don't believe uh, there is a silver bullet. The long-term goal is to switch 100% to renewables, but in the transition, we got to rely on all forms of uh, energy until we get there to that, we get to that destination. The conundrum is we have to decarbonize because all the evidence uh, indicate that if uh, we don't decarbonize, the whole planet would be in trouble. So uh, the, there is a goal that we achieve part of that by 2030. 2050 is definite. Otherwise, we may actually um, reach a point of no return. One of Badad's most exciting renewable energy projects is green hydrogen and the Hydro Harvester, 
making fuel from thin air. Now, you've probably heard of hydrogen before, especially if you're interested in the electric vehicle space. But what is green hydrogen and how could it possibly be used to power a car? To understand this, we have to go back to the very beginning. Remember those lab coats I mentioned earlier? Well, it's time to put them on. Introducing Jess. Hi, I'm Jess. I'm a senior lecturer in chemical and renewable energy engineering at the University of Newcastle. Do you mind starting us off? What is hydrogen? Hydrogen. Yes, the million dollar question, the billion dollar question. So hydrogen, the element, is the most abundant element in the universe. It is literally everywhere. But hydrogen, the gas, so when you join two hydrogen atoms together, it forms a gas. That is actually relatively rare to form on Earth. It does form occasionally, but it's quite hard to get out of the Earth's crust where it does form. So in fact, the most abundant source of hydrogen on Earth is in water. So if we want to use hydrogen gas on Earth, we basically have to get it somehow from water. And when you say you extract the hydrogen from water, how does one go about that process? Yes. So there's a number of different ways that you can do this. So hydrogen is already used in industry at the moment globally. So there's already an industry for hydrogen. It's used in things like petrochemical refining. It's used in making things like ammonia for fertilizers. So these processes already make hydrogen industrially. The way they get that hydrogen at the moment, basically they use fossil fuels as the energy source. So they have water and they have a fossil fuel. They either have coal or they have natural gas, so methane, which has carbon and hydrogen in it. And they basically react those with water and split it into a number of different things. One of those things is hydrogen. They also make carbon dioxide, which is obviously a greenhouse gas emission. Obviously, that's not a particularly green way to make hydrogen, but the way that we are more interested in using it in the future is by splitting water without using fossil fuels. So water is very stable. So to split it apart, you do need to put a lot of energy in, either react it with something like fossil fuel, or you can put in electricity. So if you put in electricity in a setup called electrolysis, you can actually force water to split apart. You run an electrical current. And by using electrochemical reactions, which are chemical reactions that happen because electrons are involved, you force a chemical reaction to happen by using electrochemical um, technology. So an electrolyzer basically forces a current through water and that makes the reaction happen, which makes hydrogen and it also makes oxygen. So no fossil fuels involved. The only input in that is electricity. Depends where you get the electricity as to where the emissions actually come from. If it's from renewable energy, it will be low emissions. That's what's known as green hydrogen, which is renewable electricity used to split water into hydrogen and oxygen. No fossil fuels at any step of the process. Right. So this is, depending on the process, that's how you get the different kinds of when we hear things like yeah. green hydrogen and other colours That's of hydrogen. Right. Yeah. It goes so they, back to how you did it. They essentially classify hydrogen. In, uh, there's a hydrogen rainbow. So there's oh. there's several colours. There's pink, there's what turquoise. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So naturally occurring hydrogen that you find in the Earth's crust is called white hydrogen. I was hoping um, for blue. <laughs> so blue hydrogen is actually when you use fossil fuels, but you capture the carbon dioxide and store it. Right. Uh, and then when you're using the renewables with electrolysis, that's green hydrogen. So, and is green the one we want? So green is the one that we are moving towards, right. definitely. Um, so green is the one we want to end up with because there's no emissions involved in any step of that process. Uh, it is 
taking some time to build the infrastructure around that, um, but that is the end point that we want to get to. And so when we talk about pure hydrogen, how do you use that for energy? Yeah, it's a great question. Hydrogen is essentially a fuel. So you're using renewable electricity to make a fuel. It's a gaseous fuel. There's quite a lot you can do with it, actually. Um, Probably the main thing that they're looking at after export is to make electricity. So you essentially run it through a technology that's the exact opposite of an electrolyzer. So in an electrolyzer, you put electricity in and you get the fuel. The fuel comes out, so the hydrogen comes out. In a fuel cell, you do the opposite. So you put the fuel Mm. in and you make electricity. So it's, it's sort of a way to store energy, essentially. Batteries can store electricity with really high efficiency, um, but they're quite heavy. So to actually export the electricity in a battery overseas, you end up using more energy to move the battery than you would actually deliver energy. Um, so Not very beneficial. Not very <laughs> beneficial. So we need things like hydrogen um, in order to have that high energy density that doesn't weigh as much and still gives a lot of electricity at the end. Mm. In some sectors of economy, it's not very easy to electrify those sectors. Examples are transport sector. Alternatively, you know, aviation sector is even more difficult to electrify. So in those cases, that's where hydrogen could be quite important because it is a way of uh, minimizing or eliminating emissions for those sectors where you can easily electrify. And that's why, for instance, um, hydrogen has been talked about for, as a means of powering fuel cells on trucks, cars, um, long haul, you know, vehicles, you know, trains, things like that. How do we see a fuel cell within a vehicle and that be, you know, driving down the road? How yeah. does that come from hydrogen? Yeah, so a fuel cell vehicle is actually a fuel cell electric vehicle. So a fuel cell converts the hydrogen into electricity and then you have an electric motor just like you would with a battery electric vehicle. So there's no combustion or burning of the hydrogen. It's all through that fuel cell arrangement. So the fuel gets converted directly into electricity. So when you fill up a hydrogen fuel cell car, you plug it in like you would at the petrol pump. But instead of looking at litres, you're looking at pressure. The way in which hydrogen is used in motorised vehicles varies. But either way, green hydrogen is front and centre in this interesting new way to travel. And Badad and his team have been producing it using electrolysis and renewable energy sources since 2019. Now, you would be forgiven if you thought the main challenge of producing green hydrogen was the energy. But in fact... It's the water. In terms of fresh water, uh, it's a scarce commodity in Australia. Let's say overnight we switch to hydrogen economy, there'll be a bit of pressure on fresh water resources. So with that in mind, what we did was we said, okay, what if we tap into the moisture that is in air? And we developed a technology which is now going towards commercialization. It's called Harder Harvester. And that technology allows us to basically capture very pure form of water from atmosphere. And without competing with freshwater resources for drinking, we can actually make use of that water as a feeder stock to an electrolyzer and therefore produce green hydrogen. The Hydro Harvester is an apparatus which absorbs water from the air at night using silica gel. 
During the day, solar energy or waste heat is used to produce hot, humid air. And the hotter the air, the more water it holds. This hot air is then cooled using ambient air as a heat sink to extract water for drinking, irrigation, or in the production of green hydrogen. Imagine that. A fuel source that can power cars, trains, maybe even planes, made from water captured from thin air. And what comes out of the exhaust? Well, that's water too. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Drawing moisture from the atmosphere is not a new concept. In fact, the Indigenous peoples of South America have been using fog nets, what the hydro harvester is based off, for drinking water for thousands of years. What we did was we revisited uh, that application from a fresh angle and we came up with a different way of uh, capturing uh, uh, essentially water from air, um, which has probably um, less than 10% of the energy footprint of conventional processes. And in doing so, one, we were able to produce water which is of drinking quality, but also uh, satisfy the very original problem that we had, which was um, finding a suitable, sustainable feedstock for production of um, the green hydrogen. Green hydrogen will definitely adapt the way that people perceive energy. It's not just something we're getting from coal and then, you know, putting it through a power plant. It will be a complete change to our energy structure. This is Jess, another Jess. My name is Jess and I'm a fourth year renewable energy engineer at the University of Newcastle. So I'm doing my final year there now at the moment. And that degree is a blend of chemical and electrical engineering put together. So one of the first um, in the cohort to be doing that degree. Deadly. In your final year, so you're on the home stretch. Yep, six more months and then we should be done. Who's so, yeah. counting? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fresh <laughs> in my mind. As a renewable energy engineering student, Jess gets to work on a range of real-life projects, like the Green Hydrogen Project. We've been very lucky to have a, um, a project every single semester, which is where we get to work in a team and we get to, like, look at the bigger picture in life. It's not just, oh, what have we been studying this semester? It's how is this going to impact our, like, our learning further out of that? So my final year project, I'm doing it with the Dad Montaderi and um, that's on the green hydrogen plant, which we're doing a conceptual design of a one gigawatt electrolysis plant, which is based in the Hunter region. So that's pretty cool. What have you learned so far working on this green hydrogen project? Where do you start? Oh, literally, like from February this year, it's been go, go, go. Like I didn't even have a a proper understanding of electrolysis and everything. And gosh, now I can tell you how a plant's arranged and all the uses for hydrogen. And I can just tell you that it's we need it in Newcastle and it's going to be great. Badad and his team are pioneers in the green hydrogen space, with a pilot plant located at the Newcastle Institute for Energy and Resources, or NEAR, precinct, that could rapidly boost domestic hydrogen production capabilities. And the project Jess is working on could scale that even further. Like most young people, Jess is passionate about the planet and climate change. And now she has an avenue to do something about it. 
political agreements such as the Paris Agreement, they're, they're coming up and we're not on target to reaching any of those climate goals. And I think also just because it's all, it's in the news at the moment, it's everywhere. Everybody's really, you know, they're asking questions and I think we need to, while we've got people interested, we need to capture that and go, okay, well, this is what we can do and this is why we need to do it. Because a few years ago, I feel like it wasn't really that important. Like when I would tell people I was doing this degree, they'd be like, oh, okay, but why? Like, I know like they think it's going to be something important, but it's not at the moment. Whereas now it's, yes, renewable energy. I'm hearing about that all the time. Let's do that. So Jess, tell us a little bit, obviously, um, we're kind of new to hearing about this. Tell us what the course involves. What does it look like? So mostly we look at the seven renewables, which are solar, wind, geothermal, hydro, ocean and bioenergy, as well as hybrid systems. And it's also a mix of um, power electronics and storage systems. So basically all the energy coming in from renewable resources and then storing it instead of using fossil fuels. Where we're at now, we, we talk a lot about fossil fuels. Yeah. Has that been a massive shift in your thinking? What did you think about fossil fuels before and where have you arrived now? I think when you started the degree, it was like, oh, fossil fuels, they're so bad. We need to get rid of them straight away as soon as you can, get them out of the picture. But I think throughout the degree, we've learnt that, you know, there's not going to be that humongous switch where it's fully renewables because that's just not realistic of what um, the industry is going to be able to do. And fossil fuels will be a part of our energy future. Yeah, definitely. Were you surprised at that, you know, shifting of the the stigma that there is around fossil fuels when you started? Yeah, I think so. Because like, like I said, you just thought, oh, get it out as soon as possible. And now it's like, no, we're going to build a sustainable plan that has fossil fuels in there because, of course, it is still a part of our energy um, option for Australia. And, you know, we have that resource there. We just need to, you know, turn down how much we use it. And turn up the imagination. When it comes to rethinking the way we use fossil fuels, another researcher at the University of Newcastle is leading the charge with innovative work in coal-based supercapacitors. My name is Rowan Stanger. I work at the University of Newcastle as a senior lecturer uh, and I work in the area of uh, coal and biomass utilisation, really focusing on um, carbon end products. Uh, And uh, I'm very interested in what we can do with coal and biomass other than what we're currently doing. Tell us a little bit about what that is or, or how you got into this space. Actually, I'm a chemical engineer by trade, trained at the University of Newcastle, and uh, I left as an undergraduate and, and I got, uh, if you like, tangled up in the mines with, with coal testing. And uh, I eventually went and did a PhD in, in coal, if you like, utilisation, meaning using coal for other things like steel making and power generation. Uh, and that kind of led me down this pathway, which was using coal better. So for instance, carbon capture and storage and working on technologies that allow us to capture CO2. But all of those things came to a head, I think, in about 2018, when I just looked at what I had been doing and it was still making CO2. I had a bit of a reality check that I thought these industries aren't really sustainable in the future. And my research wasn't really helping that. And so I've kind of shifted the gears a little bit and said, well, let's not do what we've always been doing, which is burn coal. But how could we utilise coal for carbon? Like, what, what does that mean, carbon products? Carbon itself is another versatile chemical, which, of course, is found in abundance in coal. And we don't need to burn coal to utilise that carbon. 
Rowan has been looking into advanced carbon manufacturing here in Australia using low-emission coal, which could not only reduce the cost, but pollution too. Perhaps the most exciting reutilisation of coal is for energy storage. Everyone knows energy storage from the point of view of a lithium-ion battery, and probably most people would also nod their head at, at pumped hydro, yes, the snowy hydro scheme. Those things are p- things that people are familiar with, but like coal into a battery, that's, that's, that's a bit crazy. Uh, <laughs> but it's not as crazy as you think. The, um, for what, one technology is, is known as supercapacitors, which uh, currently utilise carbon, activated carbon, and they roll it all up on these little metallic films and they store energy inside the pores of the carbon. So, so activated carbon, a lot, some people might, you know, some of the viewers might be aware of, it has microporosity, which can physically store the charge inside these, these little gaps in the, in the structure, which I find fascinating. And coal is used for activated carbon, so I'm not really suggesting something really outlandish. What I am suggesting is the scale. that It's an outlandish scale that we need to kind of deal with. Unlike batteries and regular capacitors, supercapacitors can store and release large amounts of energy very quickly. Scaling up the production of coal-based supercapacitors could mean a cheaper, more effective way of storing energy for a country that, well, uses a lot of it. Most people would think, oh, well, there's been a lot of announcements for, for energy storage. We're on the right pathway. I haven't really seen anyone kind of crunch the numbers and say just how much we need, because it's a bit of a depressing thing. Um, and it's just some numbers off the top of my headset that I've kind of calced in the background. Hmm. We basically would need, for, to store Australia's energy for one day, one day we'd need 170,000 Tesla batteries, the big battery down in South Australia that was so contentious when it was hmm. put in, and Elon Musk, 100 days, we need 170,000 of those. That's a lot, and it's expensive. It's just ridiculously expensive. And there just isn't enough lithium to do that. So this kind of comes into a bit of a supply chain question of what should we be using to store energy and how fast can we do it? And it sounds like you've got to a turning point in your own personal journey, but mm. I think our society is also oh, seems yeah. to have got to a turning point. Absolutely. It, it's been trying to turn for a long time, I think. Mm. And uh, the writing's on the wall. Plenty of people have been writing about the Hunter as a place that this is going to impact most of all. The, Jobs in the hunter, I think, is a thing that we can all agree we need more of. And I think a lot of our economies, Western economies, are, are, are built on coal-fired power generation. It's a, it's a ready resource. It's very, very cheap, very plentiful in the Hunter Valley. And we sell it abroad to all sorts of different countries, largely for combustion, to, to boil water. But at the same time, it comes with this environmental cost, which the CO2 is really the the bad boy in all of this. There's plenty of other nasties that come out of coal, but, but CO2 really is the one that I think we've all come out of the pandemic going, we need to do something about this. The world Rowan imagines is filled with air hanger-sized sheds of these coal-based supercapacitors. Who knows? Maybe one day they'll be a home for the energy produced by Badad's green hydrogen. The possibilities for renewable energy production are endless when it has somewhere to be stored. And for an area like Newcastle, this means endless possibilities for us too, repurposing the mining infrastructure that we already have. Well, what impact would it have on the industry, the coal industry here, 
if we were to do that pivot? Would it be such an identity crisis if we're still using all of the places and the facilities you're talking about? No, not at all. I think we, I think the Hunter Valley is an energy powerhouse and one way or another, we're going to be an energy powerhouse. There's limits on shipping containers. So they want to sell hydrogen, export hydrogen from here. We're going to turn, we're going to make hydrogen and we've got solar. We, if we just had the storage, we would have everything that we need for, for the rest of the nation. And I quite like that idea. We've got lots of land, lots of almost contaminated land in a way. Like we've got, we've got a lot of land which we're not really utilising properly and certainly a lot of holes for, for old coal mines. And all of that could be used in a different way. It could all be repurposed. And if we, we were coal miners because we want to store the nation's energy, I think that's a good repurposing. And if we've got hydrogen and we've got all this whole other green economy going on, I think that fits very nicely into to where everyone else has got this vision. While there are arguments for and against metal and mineral mining, there is one inescapable fact. The materials used to manufacture renewable energy technologies, like solar panels, wind turbines, coal-based supercapacitors, they all use mined materials like lithium, copper, rare earth minerals and more. So getting rid of mining altogether might not be the solution. Uh, I think most people have this vision of we want to turn off the coal mines and be green. But, but being green has its own issues. There's, there's a lot of copper. There's actually a lot of mining. There's a lot of mining that we're going to have to keep doing to support a renewable energy future. So I don't think we get away from mining, uh, even with all the recycling in the world. But carbon and coal mining is just one of one option. And yeah, I think it's as as good or as bad as any other kind of mining. And we may as well have it here in the Hunter, generating jobs and driving our economy further. Talking about Newcastle, we're in the right position in terms of, um, you know, renewable energy resources. We have high quality solar energy resources, wind resources, and it's a very big country. You know, we don't have any limitations in terms of setting up, you know, uh, sort of renewable energy-based farms and power plants. We're ripe in terms of um, using those sort of assets, natural assets that we have to produce renewable energy and then uh, make use of that to, to do other things, including hydrogen production, and then export it to countries who are not as fortunate as we are, like Japan, Korea, you know, a lot of countries, many of the European countries. Um, therefore, um, I see a very broad future for Newcastle. You know, it's not as if, uh, you know, we, we, you know, turn off the tap on coal all of a sudden that the whole city would die. In fact, it, the opposite. Uh, probably we're going to prosper. Especially for Newcastle, green hydrogen is going to take off soon. And, you know, there's going to be so much industry that will just be calling for it. Like we've got exportation opportunities to like Japan, Korea, as well as just using it in Newcastle and maybe converting ammonia plants to use our hydrogen as opposed to just exporting it will be will be pretty cool, but the avenues are endless. It's easy to get caught up in the doom and gloom of climate change, but for students like Jess, being part of the next generation of scientists solving the world's most pressing problem is empowering. And does it give you hope knowing that there are projects like yours and Badad's that exist that are coming to fruition as we speak. Yes, it's phenomenal just to hop online and see what the CSIRO are doing, as well as the University of Newcastle. They're 
There are so many things that they're offering that you kind of go, oh, yes, this is giving me confidence that I'm doing the right thing, so yeah. And speaking of the future, there are some exciting things already underway for Rowan. Having just received funding to look into what types of coal can store what types of energy. Or maybe they have other applications too. So part of the funding is about um, looking at different kinds of coals. So do they all perform the same way? Do I need to blend them? How How do I treat all of these, the vast different uh, array of qualities that we have here in the Hunter and, and beyond Queensland as well. So that research is going on right now. In a way, do all coals make the same kind of carbon tile supercap? And I also have this kind of prototype development. I'm already storing energy on my desk. I've got this kind of little thing, 3D printed cell, hook a couple of alligator clips up to some carbon tiles and just watch it, watch it store energy. It's fantastic. Uh-huh. I see this energy storage as a real critical uh, the, the, the critical thing that we are missing and it could not go fast enough and it needs to go a lot faster. I think it's going to be a balance. I'm very against all or nothing. So this is the answer. It's hydrogen, it's that, it's whatever. Mm. It's really what we need to be looking to do is to diversify our exports. We've gotten really stuck into this one or two exports and they're both obviously fossil fuels. But we have electricity in Australia that can be renewable on a grand scale. And the ability to harness renewable electricity to make green products and fuels like hydrogen is going to be absolutely crucial for the whole world for global decarbonisation efforts. So Australia has a pretty important role to play in harnessing our renewable energy and the land area that we have. So I think in the end, we're going to have a mixture of things. Probably hydrogen export will be part of that. So hydrogen is a fuel. But we can also make products with renewable energy and renewable electricity and with green hydrogen here in Australia and export the products instead of sending right. the hydrogen and sending the electricity for other people to do manufacturing and then buying it back again. The products Jess is talking about are things like green steel, green hydrogen-derived ammonia for fertilisers and more, which is all music to Badad's ear, who has amazing things on the horizon for green hydrogen and other renewable energy products. We know in the process of producing uh, sustainable methane. But then that itself led to another set of projects, which then allowed us to produce liquid fuels from it. So sustainable, what we call sustainable aviation fuel. So it's the whole concept is now actually continuing with that and uh, producing sustainable aviation fuel because that would go and help um, basically aviation industry, aviation sector, which I mentioned earlier, is one of the difficult ones to uh, sort of decarbonize. And in doing so, we basically started collaboration with a range of companies um, and some colleagues from other universities. And during the latest round of uh, Trailblazer Universities Australia, we managed to pull in $280 million dollars from the federal government, yes, from federal government, industry and universities to focus on a range of projects, including um, give and take about $40 million project on sustainable aviation fuel, which is really sort of a sort of more advanced version of what we've done with hydrogen. Wow. Over the last two years, four years, sorry. The Australian Trailblazer for Recycling and Clean Energy program Badad mentioned there is an inspiring partnership between the University of New South Wales and the University of Newcastle. It's a partnership fast-tracking exciting research in clean energy and bringing it to market. So hopefully we can all reap the benefits sooner. You spoke about 
the future, the, the reality of what a future will look like if we don't move in this direction. How do you see the future and are you concerned about the future we're leaving for the next generation if we don't move in this direction? Definitely, I would be concerned uh, if we don't. Hard as an economy has had a couple of false starts in the past. This time around, I think we're going to make it. Thanks to the work Badad and his team are doing, all of us could soon be travelling in a brand new style. And it's green. Both Badad and Rowan's innovative research could be the key to diversifying the renewable energy economy. The determination to provide pragmatic, practical and effective solutions embody the University of Newcastle spirit, illustrated in the trailblazing researchers and students like Jess and Jess, who are on a path to change the world forever. This podcast is a listener production brought to you in partnership with the University of Newcastle, hosted by me, Shani Wellington. Produced by Kelsey Menzies. Executive producer is Todd Stevens with audio production by Kelly Fulston. Listener.